Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. I woke up all on my own this morning at 4 a.m. because this is one of my uh, favorite gatherings. And uh, this is also the uh, one gathering where I get to give you your final message as lead pastor. So it's like, so I was like on it this morning. I am freshly shorn. You know, I even got out that utensil that buzzes off the ear hairs and the nose hairs. And, and I got my wife's mirror out that makes your face look really, really big, you know. So, you know, yeah, you, you only get to give your final, final message as lead pastor once. So you got to look as good as you can. I don't have much to work with. So, hey, as we get into uh, the uh, business of the day, I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of First Thessalonians. Turn to the book of First Thessalonians. You'll find that on eight, page 835. So have you ever had the experience where you're in a certain place or in, in a moment in time and you're so busy with the details and the tasks of carrying on business as usual that you kind of miss the greater picture? You miss the, the, maybe perhaps the grandeur and the majesty of the moment that you might be a part of. It's easy to do that, do that just to get so much and caught up with the task and the details that you forget that there's a bigger picture that's going on around you. This just happened to me just recently. I was in Colorado just a few days ago picking up uh, one of my sons who was living out west for the summer. And uh, we, as you do when you're in Colorado, we hiked the mountain. Okay, so we were live, we were in, at the time in the Dillon Frisco area. Some of you guys know where that is. And so we went out to the Breckenridge area and we chose one of the 12 peaks out there. There's a range called the 12 peaks. And we chose to uh, hike this mountain that is creatively named peak number eight. Okay. So we, uh, we are climbing peak number eight. And uh, I think we got a picture up there. That's, that's peak number eight there on our approach. And, and so we are having this great time, this great hike. But as you got up higher and higher, I mean, you're at 13,000 feet. I had about one day to acclimate. You know, my muscles are crying out for air and, and the path that on the final ascent was so well marked out. So, so well marked out that, that you just had to keep your head down and look to what you're just, what your next step would be. And I was concentrating so much on stepping in the right place and going at the right place that I forgot that I'm a part of a larger picture going on. And when we finally made it to the top, then we paused, then we drew back and we got the larger picture of where we were at. There's the whole Breckridge area there from 13,000 feet. We saw the greater picture of what we were part of. Or, or, like last spring break when I was with a couple of my kids down in Kentucky for a short vacation down there. We were hiking down in Kentucky and we were at this place, went on for a day hike uh, to a place called Chimney Rock, okay? And we were on Chimney Rock, and we just hiked for about a half a mile, and then the path just stopped, okay, just stopped out of nowhere. And uh, my son-in-law, who was with us at the time, he was, from time to time, sending out his drone, okay, to take these larger aerial pictures of where we are. And so here we are, we're, we're at, uh, there's some, some footage of, there, okay, at Chimney Rock, okay. There we are, and there's, my nose is stuck in the map. I'm like, where are we? Like, the path just stopped. We have no idea where we are. So let me continue. My kids are just kind of fooling around. And he sent, doing the karate kid thing. And Matt set up the drone and gave us a larger picture of where we were. 
right? And so what I want to do today is to, in essence, for all of you here at Kettlebrook, to send up the drone, so to speak. Maybe it's because here in church world, what we can do is we can get so caught up in the task that we miss the larger picture. And we don't take time to pull back and see what it is that God is up to and what God is doing. You might be here and you're on the setup and takedown team and you are so busy setting up rooms on Sunday morning that you may forget that you're part of a larger picture of changing lives for all eternity. You might be one of our teachers in our Rising Stars program, and you might be so busy putting together a plan and a a teaching program that you forget that you are actually training up. The children that you're training up are going to be the leaders of the next generation. Okay? You may be on uh, the hospitality team, and you're so fixated with having that coffee be just right and praise God that it's just right. Okay? But you may forget the fact that you are part of creating an environment where people can come and maybe perhaps experience the living God for the first time in their lives. And so what I want to do is I want to this morning is just kind of pause and allow us to send up the drone and see what God is doing. And so, let's do that by reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 together. We're going to read verses 2 and 3 and then down to 7 and 8. Paul says this to the Thessalonians, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Down to verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Paul seems to indicate here that the Thessalonians' faith had somehow become famous. That not just throughout their region, which was the equivalent of modern-day Greece and the country of Macedonia, but in areas beyond those borders as well. He says in verse 8 that the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Essentially what Paul is saying is that there is something so profound and so compelling about the faith of these Thessalonians that the news of it has spread not just throughout their country, but throughout the, all the known world of its day, wherever there were these pockets of followers of Jesus Christ meeting together, they somehow heard about the church in Thessalonia. Which begs the question, what was it about these believers that made their faith become so well known, so infamous throughout the known world of the time? Was it that they believed the right stuff? Was it that they understood deep and profound nuances of doctrine and theology? I think we have to go back to the the beginning of this passage to find out what was it exactly that caused them to be so well known. Verse 3, he says this, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance Inspired by hope 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonian church was marked for doing three things and three things extremely well. Their work was produced, was born out of a deep faith. And their labor was prompted and initiated by a deep, deep love. And their endurance was inspired or motivated by an unwavering hope. Faith, love, and hope. This holy trinity finds itself upon the pages of the New Testament again and again and again. Kind of like the calling card of the church or a genuine hallmark of a follower of Jesus Christ. These three virtues, faith, love, and hope, stand out against all the others. And, and it's interesting, none of these virtues appear to be passive virtues. They demonstrate, they show themselves to be genuine through gritty, real behavior. Faith ultimately leads to a kind of work. Not a work that earns our salvation, but it's a, 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 a work that comes out of salvation. Ephesians 2.10, he says, we are saved by faith, but then we're saved to do good works, which God created in advance for us to do. And so faith is, is, is a virtue, is a reality, isn't just believing the right things. It's something that is born in us and causes us and pushes us out to do risky things. Another more earthy contemporary word for faith is risk. Living by faith pushes you out of your comfort zone and causes you to do things that you wouldn't naturally, normally do. To live by faith can be a dangerous thing. And Paul says that believers, that their work is, is born out of faith. But not only that, but they have a labor that's prompted by love. Their love, it wasn't some superficial warm feeling that they had for other people. Their love caused them to work, to do things, to sacrifice on behalf of others. See, real love for others, causes you to sacrifice and to serve another human being. I believe it was Pastor Troy who one day said that if you say you love someone, you should also be able to say, I serve you as well. Service is the ultimate expression of love. And so love is not some kind of passive warm feeling. Love costs something. It requires something of us. And in the Thessalonians, their labor was prompted by their love. And then finally, they had their endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And when they talk about hope, it's just not some vague idea of hope that tomorrow is going to be a better day. It's hope that's grounded in the reality of Jesus Christ. And whenever the New Testament is talking about hope in Jesus Christ... That hope is in the sure promise that Jesus Christ is going to return and he is going to set the world to rights. And that all of us who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ at that time will experience a resurrection with him. That is our hope. And when the Bible talks about this hope, it's talking about this eternal hope that we have in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. Paul, Paul alludes to this, and this, it's this hope that allows us, as followers of Jesus, to endure. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. 
The whole chapter, he talks about the resurrection, what the resurrection is going to be like, how cool it's going to be, what kind of bodies we're going to have, all that stuff. And then he ends with this, and I know I put this up here before, but this is one of my favorite verses. This is his conclusion based upon the fact that Jesus is going to come again, he's going to set the the world to rights, and we are going to experience the resurrection. This is what we do. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. What did Paul say to the Thessalonians? Your endurance prompted by hope. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's a hope in the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ that allowed these Thessalonians to persevere even in the midst of some severe, severe trials. In verse 6, Paul refers to the fact that they have experienced some severe, severe trials in suffering. But it was their hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that allowed them to continue on. Faith, love, and hope. Three ingredients. Three virtues necessary to produce a church worth emulating. A faith that, be- and a faith that becomes known throughout an entire region. And it's interesting... When we first launched Kettlebrook Church back in 2005, one of the taglines that we used is that we wanted to be a people who lived by faith, who were known for their love, and were a voice of hope to a broken world. Now, that phrase probably wasn't original to us, but in essence, it, it kind of capitalized on a thought, an idea, and a hope of the kind of church that we wanted to be. And it resonated deeply with those of us who first started Kettlebrook Church. And I can say here now, 13 years later, that I can say with confidence, to a large extent, we have become that kind of church. When I think of the Thessalonian church that was renowned for its activity, for renowned for its labor and their engagement with the world that is born out of faith, love, and hope, I think of Kettlebrook Church. I think of Kettlebrook Church. You guys may not realize this. Because, like, Kettlebrook Church for you is your home, okay? That's where you live. That's where you, that's the air that you breathe and all that stuff. That's where you're used to. But you guys need to understand this that you among churches are unique. Not everybody gets a chance to appreciate the kind of church. That we appreciate. Just as last spring, we had some friends visiting with us. These are church leaders, national church leaders. They have been around the block. They have been all across the United States in the, the, the capacity that they serve in. And they spent a weekend with us. And on Monday morning, they were meeting with our staff and kind of debriefing with us. And, and they basically said to us, we have never seen a church that is engaged in the world the way that Kettlebrook is. And they just said, you guys need to know this, that you are unique as a church. From our perspective, from crisscrossing the the country, from being engaged with all sorts of churches, we haven't come across a church that's quite like Kettlebrook Church. And this is a sentiment that I hear quite often. Our international partners who we send teams to from Kettlebrook, they consistently express this sentiment. Just recently we had a team go overseas and we sent the people who work there a follow-up uh, email, my wife who's in charge of the international part, said, Hey, is there anything we could do to prepare our teams better? Like, can you give us some feedback, some evaluation? What can we do differently? And this is what we got back, the reply that we got back. He says, 
Here's my feedback for you in Kettlebrook. Clone yourselves. Seriously, Kettlebrook group, groups are the best prepared groups that we, the, that we receive here each year. Just because everyone needs to hear about growth theories, I can make something up if you want me to. But your groups are committed, planned early, flexible, secure, culturally sensitive, and relationally opportunistic. There is no better combination. Perhaps you guys could bolster our training materials with suggestions for how you prepare groups because our training materials aren't producing Kettlebrook quality groups. That's you guys. All of you who have been on a short-term team experience at one time or another reflect the sentiments in this letter. But your labor prompted by love and your work produced by faith isn't known just in the international areas. It's known here locally as well. Just as last spring, I was having breakfast with someone from our Jackson site. And he and his wife were uh, just at the Washington County Health and Human Services area. They were filling out paperwork to begin the process of fostering. And as they were filling out the, process, the, the paperwork in, in the office, there was an optional field to fill in. And the field was uh, church attendance or church membership. And they wrote down Kettlebrook Church. And the lady across the desk from them who works in the office says, well, I could have told you that. And they're like, excuse me? And she said, yeah, she said two-thirds of the foster kids in this county are taken care of by Kettlebrook Church. And they were like, they, they pressed her. <laughs> they, I'm like, are you sure? And he says, he says we pressed her on that. And, and she said, well, it's well over half. I can tell you that much. You know, and so, so isn't it great? You guys are becoming famous, not just with workers on the other side of the globe, but from clerical workers at our own government offices here in the Washington County. In that vein, I recently got a letter, an email from Kim Munning, our children's pastor at Kettlebrook. And in this, in this letter, she said this, we are seeing incredible momentum in being recognized as a support for foster and adoptive parents with the Washington County Social Services. They have invited us into their circle and asked for help in providing support and direction on how to support their foster parents. If we, uh, we are becoming known, we are becoming known for this in the social services community. And I believe this will give us opportunities to love and serve the social workers themselves as well. Kettlebrook is known by the way we love and serve these families through our respite events, trauma training, and ministry team that understands the needs of children from hard places and their parents. Isn't that amazing? We're becoming known for that. We're becoming, we're becoming notorious for being a church that loves some of the most vulnerable people in our society. Isn't that great? And our youth movement is becoming widely recognized and acknowledged as a place where kids are plugging in and seeing real life change. David Sizdek, our youth pastor, is now putting on events not just for the youth here at, at Kettlebrook, but for youth all over the, the city and inviting them to these citywide youth events. In fact, he's seeing so much life change happens that, that directors from other youth organizations, non-Christian youth organizations, are calling him and saying, can we meet with you? Because we want to know, like, what's your secret sauce? And we get to tell them that our, we, we don't have any secret sauce. Well, our secret sauce is, is Jesus. That's our secret sauce. And see, the, the thing is, is that 
as a church, I mean, we are becoming known and famous, I guess. But the thing is, is we, we really don't want to. We don't really want to become famous. Like, like the sentiment that I think reflects this best is found in Psalm 115, where they say, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and your faithfulness. That's what we want. When people look at us, we want to point back to Jesus and say, it's because of Jesus. Anything that you see happening in us, in our lives, is actually because of Jesus in us. Sometimes your labor prompted by love is actually real labor. Just the other week, I, was, uh, I met with someone, just ran into them on a Sunday morning. And I said, hey, how's your weekend been? And they said, oh, yeah, it was, it was good. We spent all day Saturday building a pavilion in the park in our neighborhood with my missional community. Like you do. You know? I'm like, I went for a bike ride. You know? But yet, they're becoming notorious for their labor that's prompted by love. And I'm sure that any of these people were asked, why are you building a pavilion? They'd say, well, because we're followers of Jesus. And we think Jesus likes kids. And so we're building a playground for them. You know, isn't that great? You know, when we first launched Kettlebreak way back in 2005, I had an opportunity to go to a conference. And in that conference, the speaker said this. He said th- these words that really haunted me. He said, if your church disappeared tomorrow, would anybody in your city care? And they asked a follow-up question. He said, would anybody in your city even notice? You know, and those words haunt me. And here we are 13 years later. And I'm happy to say that if we disappeared as a church tomorrow, I think people would notice if Kettlebrook doesn't exist. I know that because earlier this year I was at our Jackson site and I bumped into a lady who I just met for the first time. And I said, and it happened to be her first time. And, uh, and I said, oh, well, that's great. How do you find out about Kettlebrook? And she said, I'm on the board of citizen advocates. And I run into so many people who are serving in a capacity in citizen advocates from Kettlebrook Church that I had to come and just check out and see what this place is all about. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's our engagement and our involvement in the world that is causing people to be put on inquiry and come to check out what our sites are all about. And see, this is the, this is the, we, we don't want to become involved and engaged in our community as an end to itself. As it's, it's all about getting involved and engaged. Involvement and engagement in our community leads to influence. Leads to influence. And this is what I think so many churches don't get. So many churches across the United States, they want to influence their community... But they are unwilling to roll up their sleeves and do the hard work of getting involved and engaged in the very community that they want to, that they want to influence. But this is how it works. We have a gal in our uh, community, in, in, in Kettlebrook, who got to be engaged with a not-for-profit here in town. And she formed a relationship with another gal who works for that not-for-profit. And as she began to love on this gal from this not-for-profit, she began to walk with her through some pretty difficult times. And that gal, lo and behold, showed up at our services and began attending our services. And just this past week, that lady went through the waters of baptism. 
And the, isn't that great? And she, she pro- professed her faith in Jesus Christ and went through the waters of baptism. And this gal that initiated the whole thing by getting involved in the not-for-profit was the one who did the baptizing. Isn't that great? See, involvement and engagement leads to relationship, and relationship leads to influence for Jesus Christ. By the way, looking at that at the baptism, how many of you were able to be at the West Bend baptism last week? Isn't that great? That's like one of the most exciting events, one of the most exciting gatherings that we have of the year. I wish you all could have been there, and, and I understand that you know it's summertime and you guys are busy. But what we wanted to do is, is to just kind of give you one snapshot, one family story that was shared at that baptism. And again, what we hope to do for all of you is to just send up the drone this morning. And give you a, a, a bigger picture, a glimpse of what God is doing. So last spring I had a chance to meet uh, the Monday family for uh, the first time in the membership class as they went through membership. And, uh, and during that time I got a chance to go to visit them at their home, hear a little bit more of their story. And as they shared their story, I just thought to myself, Kettlebrook has to hear a little bit of the story. So we, they allowed us to come in and interview them uh, just last week. So here's the Monday kids getting older, problems started getting, you know, bigger, and, you know, we were both kind of struggling how to handle it, and so we were just kind of popping into all different kinds of churches just to find, you know, try to find an, another home that we could, you know, call our own again. I, I One day I walked into work and I was in tears, and I, I had a friend, I said, how much is God going to give me? I just can't take this anymore. I know he says, he, people say, he doesn't give you more than you can handle, and she said, that's that's not true. God gives you more than you can handle, so you can so you turn to him. We were like, wow, this is much different than, you know, the traditional services that we were going to. And, you know, you could definitely tell there was a, a lot more energy. You, could, you, you felt the Holy Spirit just coming over you. You know, everybody's socializing and talking. And, and then the service, you know, it, while, you're, while you're there, it doesn't seem like it's in a, in a little over an hour. It's felt like 10 minutes and you always are wanting more and like well let's keep going you know we're just getting good you know and after visiting routinely i started realizing we needed the message to get us through the week it was almost like our filler for the week the fill bucket filler in the middle of all of this we were very blessed to have a co-worker of mine and a friend ask us to join their small group we said how is that going to fit in our schedule we are the busiest people and what is this going to be like? We, we knew just the people who invited us, and I was super nervous because we were very young in our faith. After the first visit, we were so excited. We were... We didn't want it to end. All of a sudden, the Bible was out in the living room. You can't carry that, all that burden of, you know, life and everything that's going on. You can't carry that yourself. You know, when you have your spouse, sometimes, you know, you got some questions that you don't want to look kind of silly or whatever and stuff. So it's nice to kind of, you know, with us being as young as we are in our our faith, it's just nice to have, you know, some support from other men. I remember being at a church service and singing a hymn. And then I started crying and I never cried at church before. I was reading the words of the hymn instead of singing them and I thought, God really loves me. Like, it made me feel like he gave just this ultimate sacrifice, which he did. We want to show that we're ready, that we know what you have done, and we're ready to commit 110 percent.
feel so uplifted and thankful and and blessed and I if this is what I need to do to show Jesus that I even remotely am close to believing in him and and what he's done for me, let's let's do it. And now I think we're feeling comfortable to reach out of our boundaries and foster or do in our community or even say to other people, um, have you prayed on it? Our youngest daughter, with her going to the child care at church, and she's seen how many kids were being fostered, she was like, this is crazy. Could we do this? So when she showed her interest, we were like, hmm. We were studying the book of James, and we were into the chapter where it's about taking care of orphans and widows. And we're like, it's just too many, too many signs and too many blocks are getting put down here. It was put there for us. We were put there for the right reasons. And we still pray on it, like patience and other things. And there's multiple ways people can give back, and it looks differently. And that was just ours that we could do as a family. One of the big things for me was to pray out loud. That was super uncomfortable for me. I'm not just point where I prayed in front of the whole church, but I found that I had a friend that was going in for heart surgery, and there was three women. I said, hey, can I pray for us? So... I think you have to be okay with starting out small. And even if it stays small, I'm gonna be okay with that. I'm gonna, you know, take this journey and, and see what happens. See where see where we land. to watch that several times <laughs> so I could get through that, you know. Um, so I hope this morning we're able to pause and get the drone out, so to speak, give you a, a bigger picture of what God is doing here. You are not just setting up a room so children can play in it. You are not just setting out donuts so people have something to eat. You are not just playing notes or chords on a page. You are creating an environment where people can connect with the living God, perhaps for the first time in their lives. And that connection might lead them to a small group. And that small group might lead them to faith in Jesus Christ and might change their life and their family's life for all eternity. And so, as I close... My final message for you guys as lead pastor, allow me a little artistic license to paraphrase for you First Thessalonians. Kettlebrook, I always thank God for all of you mentioning you in my prayers. I continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you have become a model to all the believers in West Bend and in Jackson. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in West Bend and Jackson. Your faith in God has become known all throughout Washington County and even beyond. Calbrook, you have a famous faith, and you will continue to have a famous faith as you continue to faithfully partner with God in his redemptive purposes for this world. Let's pray. Father God, it's, it's
it's uh, been the joy and privilege and honor of my life to shepherd and pastor this church. You're doing amazing work. And the only thing we can say to you, Father, is that would you just please, please continue. We love seeing lives changed. We love being a part of it. We love being used by you. And we would only ask that you add to our number so that we can do it more and more. And that Jesus' name would be glorified and renowned through our efforts. I pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks. That was great for my old nature. <laughs> so we're not we're not quite done yet. A little over a year ago, I took a prayer retreat and I wrote down in my journal at that prayer retreat, if I could give myself to three things. For the rest of my life, the remainder of my life, I would give myself to Kettlebrook Church, to the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement course, and to the work in the North Caucasus. And I realized at that time that I wouldn't be able to give myself to all three of those things equally and still remain as lead pastor of Kettlebrook Church. And so somehow I was going to have to give away the, the leadership of Kettlebrook Church. And then I thought, well, who would I give the leadership of Kettlebrook Church to? And I thought, and I, and I prayed, and I thought some more. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's that kid with the big nose, you know? I'm like, he could do it. No. But uh, the reality is that a little uh, few months ago, we formed a transition team, and the question wasn't so much who to transition to, but how to transition best, and how to do that well. And uh, those people on that team served us uh, very well. And the reality is, is that Troy has been leading for some time now, and today is really just an acknowledgement and a formal recognition of that fact. And in many ways, it's really just a culmination of a process that began almost a decade ago. And it's an incredible privilege. Not everyone, Troy, gets to hand off the reins of the church that they started and they lead to the person that they choose. But I can't think of a better person to entrust the leadership of Kettlebrook Church to than you. Um, the reality is, yes, And the, the reality is, is that I, I'm actually, I'm not going anywhere. In fact, I'm preaching next week. So, you know, you might be surprised at that, okay? But, uh, but over, over the course of the year, I will be here less and I'll be overseas more. And the elder team has allowed me that freedom to be able to do that. But I still, to the, my dying days, want to be a part of what God is doing here at Kettlebrook Church. What it really means is that... that I'm going to be changing the water cooler now instead of Troy. But uh, Troy will begin leading our staff 
and leading our elder team, and I will uh, and I'll be pulling back from those activities. And so, uh, to really hand off this moment to Troy, why don't you come on up here, Troy? I am going to figuratively and literally pass the baton to Troy. Now, Troy, one of my favorite books is the book of Joshua. And in, in, in the first chapter of Joshua, uh, Moses is no longer the leader of Israel. And Joshua is now leading the nation of Israel. And so he has big shoes to fill. Right? So, yeah, this, the moment's not being lost on you, right? Okay, so, yeah, I, wrote, so. I wrote that down. <laughs> okay, so, so, um, so what I did is I created a baton for you. And, uh, and I'd like you to read what's on this. You cannot imagine how difficult it is to write on a curved surface. But, uh, but this is your baton. The leadership of Kettlebrook Church now belongs to you. And if you can read my writing on there. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen. Amen. Do I get to say some things now? Yes, it is. Okay. You have the microphone. Um, I don't know. You, you got me emotional earlier. Uh, here's some scripture I'd like to, to, to say for you. Jesus um, was talking to his disciples and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles or the rulers of this world lord it over. Lord, they're an exercise their authority and leadership over them, their people. And the world's great ones exercise authority over their people. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Mike, um, it, it shall not be among, so among you and has not been ever like that under your leadership. Um, folks, I hope you understand that this, Mike does not have to do this. Mike does not have to say, you know, he felt called years ago to come back from Russia and to, to start this expression of the body as he's been called by the Lord. He doesn't have to do this. But he's willingly saying, I'm going to let this, I'm going to set aside it. I want you to make sure you understand that this is not something that we're doing today. This is something that Mike has been doing for 12 years. 12 years. And I, I wrote down some words for me personally that, that I want to explain that define Mike for me, working with him for 12 years. The first one is empowering. There has not been a day since I've, I've been on staff where I've not felt like I can do what God has called me to do and have his support behind it and have his encouragement and resources and, and love behind what we're, whatever God puts on my heart. Second is that Mike is humble. I mean, he, he, he said this morning as he got up that he's only got this to work with. He can make fun of my nose, but this is what he's got to work with. And, and, and so that has been the culture of humility on the staff uh, and in the rest of this body is humility. And it's because of your leadership that demonstrates that humility. 
Second, thirdly is authentic. And I, I won't say, I mean, you don't know what Mike and I have shared over the last 12 years because he's just that authentic with me. And he, I know he does that with you as well, but he has never hid anything from me. And most of the time he's never hid anything from you either. Some things he just doesn't share because it's just, you know, guy stuff. <laughs> Self-deprecating. I need to tell you a story. This was about eight years ago. Um, it was, I think, the first year Ryan was on staff. Ryan and Mike and I took a prayer retreat down on Lake Okachi. There was a place we could go down there for free and have a, pre, a prayer day. And we went, took prayer that prayer day. And at the end of the day, we went down the pier um, overlooking Lake Okachi. And we we're kind of closing the day in prayer. We closed the day in prayer. And I said, hey, Mike, I, I, I need to make a phone call. I don't have my phone. Can, we give you, can, you, can I use your phone? He said, yeah. And so I took his phone. And I gave it to Ryan, and I pushed him in the lake. I don't know how many of you feel like you could push your boss in the lake and get away with it. Um, but that has you been... didn't get away with it. I did? <laughs> did you pull me in? I can't remember. I don't think so. That's the kind of, that's the kind of environment. Two weeks ago, we had our serving team leaders that, that, that lead our serving teams on Sunday get together and we had a, a meal and we processed through some things. And I had them break into pairs of two and I said, I want you to do something. I want you to think if you could describe Kettlebrook, the two of you, if you could come up with one word that you would use to describe Kettlebrook Church, what would that word be? And here's what they said. And Mike, I need you to hear these words because this is the legacy that God has used you for to create. The words were Challenging. Comfortable. So comfortable and challenging at the same time, the paradox of that. Genuine and global. Mike, thank you for being obedient to Jesus all these years. And we look forward to your faithful obedience in helping continue to point us to what he's doing around the world. Thank, thank you. you, brother. Thank you. So... What, what we want to do now is we want to call up uh, all past and present elders to come up to the stage, and we're going to actually lay hands on Troy and, uh, and commission him. We're going to, as Stephanie can come up as well. Stephanie, would you be willing to come up here as well? You guys are kind of a package deal. So, yeah. And uh, I'm just going to pass uh, this microphone around to whomever uh, wants to pray over these guys, and uh, Mike, would you start us off, and then uh, Paul, will you not close? I don't think your nose is that big, Troy. (laughs) (laughs) The the words that are written on that baton are are really crucial. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start a few words before what's written on the baton. As um, Moses uh, stepped off the scene and Joshua was anointed by God to take over, The Lord said this, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So, Lord, we pray that your manifest presence would be with Troy at all times and with Mike as it has been. We pray it will continue to be, because with your presence, everything is possible. With your presence, it is actually possible to be strong and to be courageous. 
And so we pray that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would fill both of these men, fill all of us, and fill this church as it has been and will continue to be, so that the name of Jesus would be known throughout this community and that uh, people throughout this community most in need of a, of, a, of a hug and a touch and help from the Lord Jesus would receive that. So, Lord, thank you for both of these men. Thank you for how you've used them. Thank you for how they've trained us, equipped us, taught us, and pointed us all to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the last 13 years. And uh, we especially give you thanks for Mike and Kara and uh, their listening to you while in Siberia to come back and uh, start a new creation in uh, the little town of West Bend. And uh, we thank you for their submission. We thank you for their humility. We thank you for putting people uh, in our paths that um, have come on staff. We thank you for people who uh, have passed through and, and left an impact on us. And um, we just celebrate today this transition. It's, uh, it's a joyous moment. And we look forward to what you will continue to do uh, through uh, all of our pastors uh, under, under Troy's guidance and uh, submission to you, Lord. And uh, we just uh, praise you for all that you've done and will continue to do in Washington County and beyond through this body called Kettle Park. Amen. Jesus, we're so grateful for this day, um, for the milestone that we've achieved, and yet we want to, um, in effect, soldier on and take new territory for you. We want to do even greater things. You said yourself that um, those who would follow me would do greater things than I have accomplished. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to ask that you would help us do that, that you would help us to raise up a new generation of leaders, that you would help us to be wise in how we influence and love our community. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that more than anything, that you would be foremost over us, teaching us how to love the Father, teaching us how to walk in your presence, teaching us how to love and serve each other more completely. Oh, Jesus, we've, had, we've come so far, and yet we have so far to go. Teach us, we pray. Help us to be just like you. And as Troy leads us, uh, we ask that you would give him wisdom that he didn't realize he had, and that you'd inspire him by the Holy Spirit, and that you would give Stephanie wise, wise counsel all the time for guiding and directing. Oh, Jesus, we love these precious people. And we ask that as your willing servants, you would help us to serve them well, to esteem them highly, and to help them to be uh, successful, um, not so much in worldly terms, but in terms of how they love and serve you. Oh, Jesus, we love you and thank you for hearing us now. We bless you in your precious name. Father God, we just pray a prayer of blessing on Troy and Stephanie. Pray that you would surround them with your love. Pray that their times with you would be sweet and they would hear from you as they lead and guide and direct this body. Pray that their, uh, that their time here at Kettlebrook would be a blessing to them and their entire family. That their kids would grow up here knowing that they're loved, knowing that they're accepted. Pray that for their marriage, we pray that you protect them. 
Because there, he's in the epicenter of what you're doing here in the city, and, and, and the enemy is not going to leave him alone. So we pray protection around him. And, uh, and we just pray that uh, what you have begun, the good work that you have begun here at Kettlebrook Church, you would continue it on to the day of completion, to the day of Jesus Christ. We pray it's all in his name. Amen. Amen.